are listening to the oneofus.net podcast network one of us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions we do accept pitches for audio based or banner ads but on a case-by-case basis if you're interested in that contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com with the amount of audio and video content we generate it is expensive and extremely time consuming to keep things running please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at two five ten or twenty five dollars and get a ton of bonus content One of us needs and appreciates all your support. I think the only person who might have more of a love-hate relationship with Ryan Murphy than me is, well, Frank, who's on this review. Yeah, that would be true. (laughs) How do you feel about American Horror Story, the series that now is on its 10th season, I believe? It's got a good first two seasons. After that, it's like, womp, womp. I'm more positive than you are, because I think it's very hit and miss after the first two seasons, but some of my favorite seasons are well after that. Hotel is one of my favorite seasons, and that's way after. If you can get through Coven and Freak Show, then you're a strong person. Yeah, that's true. And you deserve the really good seasons that actually do appear after that. Now, don't get me wrong. It gets much worse at points, too. (laughs) I'm looking at you, Apocalypse. But nonetheless... With that many seasons that are very long, it's a commitment, and it doesn't always pay off. So I was excited when I found out that Ryan Murphy was taking his show, and he is doing a sideline on Hulu of American Horror Stories. Well, I mean, it's ultimately an anthology show anyway, but this is an anthology episode-by-episode show, more or less, with seven episodes, although three of them are just sequels to the original season of American Horror Story Murder House. (laughs) But I was like, oh, this could be fun. Let's see what he does with single-episode stories. Plus, I also wanted to see Murder House. I think every fan did. But here we are to talk about it. And I know one of our people here is largely unfamiliar with Ryan Murphy. That's Adrian. Say hello, Adrian. Hello. I've seen almost an entire season. The one when Trump got elected. Oh, that's my favorite season of the entire show. I was liking it and for some reason never finished it. It's the only non-supernatural season of the show. Also joining me is Frank. Hello. I do not like Ryan Murphy in case you didn't pick that up before. (laughs) And Jenna. Yes, howdy ho there, neighbors. Well, let's talk about this show, American Horror Stories, and we're going to go into it episode by episode. A lot of reoccurring cast members from both American Horror Story and other Ryan Murphy shows appear as one new going into this. He uses the same people over and over and over again. So Matt Bomer, John Carroll Lynch, Charles Melton, Billy Lord, Dylan McDermott. I mean, a lot of familiar faces here. Let's just talk about Rubber Woe Man. It's in parentheses, the woe. The Rubber Woe Man, part one and part two, or the first two episodes. It's the same house, murder house, from the first season, and Matt Bomer and uh, Gavin Creel are a gay married couple who've moved into this house to flip it. They have a daughter, Scarlett, played by Sierra McCormick. She is meant to live in this fucking house. She's into sadomasochism. She's into super kicky stuff. She finds the rubber suit that was a big part of Murder House, amongst other things, and really, really likes it. This kind of follows, in similar terms, a love story that was in the original season between Taisa Formiga and Evan Peters, but in a lesbian sort of way. It's a very similar story, but super condensed. 
house. And this made me go back and rewatch all of Murder House. I was like, oh, you did? I missed this. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> also, I wanted to catch what all the connections were. And there's a lot. Really, none of the other major characters from there appear in those first two episodes, except for flashbacks. There's like an actor who died, who played like a mutated demon child that they used clips from them as a sort of like tribute yeah. or something. Yeah. They reference other characters. Like there's a therapist who gets killed and becomes part of the house who mentions, oh, there's another therapist in here. You can talk to him if you want, which is obviously a reference to Delic McDermott from the first season, but we don't see him there. I thought these were okay. Uh, so I saw that this had a part two, but I was kind of wondering, like, where are they going to go? Because if there were to only be a part one, it would, like, actually make sense to end there as a single episode. So I was wondering, how are they going to do part two? And then part two went into, like, I probably should have seen Murder House to really kind of appreciate this. But from what my girlfriend has told me, it's like a new episode of Murder House. First off, why are they flipping the house? It's a beautiful house. <laughs> I don't get why they're trying to modernize it. I think they're trying to like turn it into a and b I don't know. I really liked that first episode, and I was not a big fan of the second one. I thought it was Murder House Light. By the time the second episode came along, I was like, oh, you're grasping for straws. I don't want to call it a money grab or anything, but in terms of creativity, I don't feel like there's a lot there. I think if you like Murder House, you'll like this, but it is basically just a really like condensed, more sanitized version of what came before. You know, the first season was very revolutionary. It was really entertaining and it still holds up. These first two did not do it for me. I think everyone's great in it, but as much as I love the first season of Murder House, this just feels really hollow. And Murder House has such an exceptional cast of people in yeah. it, like Jessica Lang, Evan Peters, what have you. I just sat there the whole time going, are they going to come into it? Are they going to appear in it? They do not. Spoiler. But Jenna obviously has different feelings about this. Murder House was cute, but <laughs> I just wasn't feeling it like how I was feeling Asylum. I felt like even from a narrative standpoint, it just had a lot more going for it. Murder House, it wasn't my favorite out of this series. Again, it was cute. It was fun. But we've already seen this storyline. So it made me a little bit nervous for the next episodes. Because if I were to judge the entire series based off of these first two episodes, I would not have gone back and watched anything after this because it just wasn't that interesting. I thought this was nowhere near as satisfying as Murder House, but I wanted more Murder House. And I was like, okay, I'm largely satisfied with this on the whole, <laughs> lessened expectations. And I kind of wish I had stopped watching after this overall because the separate anthology episodes of this, for my money, with the exception of one of them, are atrocious. But let's get into those. <laughs> the third one is Drive-In, directed by the legendary Eduardo Sanchez, who's done a lot of movies I really like and also The Blair Witch Project who follows two characters, Madison Bailey and her boyfriend, played by Renzi Feliz, who go to a drive-in theater screening of a famously mythologically banned film called Rabbit Rabbit that Tipper Gore, played here in old archival quote-quote footage by Amy Grabow, interviewed the director about it having a major problem. Director played by John Carroll Lynch. They showed it in a theater and everyone in the audience murdered each other and they played into the 80s, Tipper Gore trying to ban heavy metal stuff, what have you. And he physically attacked her and strangled which is by far the best moment of this whole thing. But anyway, so they're like, let's go to this thing. Come on, it's an urban legend. Obviously, it's just a film. Let's watch it. And what do you think happens? People go crazy and try and kill each other. I think my problem with this ultimately wasn't that this was badly made, because it wasn't. It was pretty well made overall, but that I've seen this before multiple times and better. It has some good gore. There's good practical effects. There's a couple that are like the aftermath of an attack where it's like, oh shit, that's vicious. And it was kind of cool because it's like, oh shit, this is like Berto Bava's demons for a good five minutes until the short says, let's literally take a nap 
and then we'll turn into something else. And what it ultimately turned into was like, sure, <laughs> I'm not super into it. I don't hate it. It's kind of based on like Antrim. And there's another film that's supposedly an urban legend that there's like a documentary of but that had the same effect. So they're aping off of that. You didn't put much effort into making this in terms of originality, but it is enjoyable to watch. Jenna clearly has very strong feelings. <laughs> I'm just going to keep sighing. As- Instead of interrupting us, she just sighs. <laughs> Out of all the series, again, this was actually my favorite. Yes, it's been done before, but so has Murder House. There's nothing really original about these series at all. But what I do enjoy is this one, and I think the one with the baby, basically, I'll call it Rosemary's Baby, are the only two that actually are relevant to the American Horror Story universe, which was also something I was looking out for. Like, these are basically Ryan Murphy's what ifs. I was trying to pinpoint like, okay, so when did this technically happen? Did this happen like right before Apocalypse? For me, it was just fun trying to figure out when this took place within the canon. But I really liked this one. The gore, it was straight to the point. Sometimes I don't need all the fluff. I enjoy watching two kids who actually look like teenagers and they have real teenager issues which is nice to watch. I ended up liking the character arc. It was a small transition, but both of them actually like grew within that episode and actually came around and changed so for me out of all of them it may not be the most original but is the best like edited paced acted the little twist at the end was a nice little meta touch it was only lack of originality that bothered me about this other than that i thought it was very well made also you should be on ryan murphy's writing team because instead of doing a regular anthology series he should have just done a what if american art story season that's just like <laughs> what if something really different happened in any given episode of american horror story yeah. i think i would legitimately watch that i think i'm also not totally on there with jenna but more with her than you two mainly because of the tone I thought this, out of all the episodes, had the most bombastic, cartoonish, balls-to-the-wall tone. It really went for it. It had fun going for it. And it had some really fun mm-hmm. set pieces, like Tipper Gore getting throttled. If you were a kid in the 90s buying CDs, you wanted to see Tipper Gore get throttled. The fact that we got Adrian Barbeau in a really, really fun supporting role, that was really great. I did like seeing these two kids go from like really colorless teenagers to these two sort of warriors. If the rest of the show had been like this, we're going to be campy, we're going to be cartoony, and you know, we don't care. This would have worked a lot better. The next one is called The Naughty List, directed by Henry Winkler's son, Max Winkler, who, by the way, look him up. He looks just like a young Henry Winkler's. This is the point where the show drops off in a huge way for me. Four influencers live in a house that they've set up to like film content in the bro house. And they're all bros. What's up, brah? They should call it the bra house, oh, but that would have been oh, a little too God. on the <laughs> Chris. <laughs> I want them to die all over again. They are on the West Coast, so. Filming stuff constantly, but then being, what's up, bra? What's up, bra? Drinking, woo, partying, ladies' tits. And they happen to be in a place where they see a guy committing suicide, and they film it, and they're like, oh, this is going to be great. People are going to love this. And the one guy from them, who's sort of the tech geek, is like, dude, this is terrible. We should not do this. People are going to hate us for this. He's like, whatever. And sure enough, people hate them for it. And they're like, fuck, we got to figure out how to compensate and fix this. And they just fucking double down and get worse and worse and worse. And they encounter an evil killer Santa played by Danny Trejo, don't ask, who decides that they need to be punished and in fact punishes them. This, I thought, was atrocious, not for Danny Trejo, who I always love and is always welcome at things. It's that, A, once again, 
We've seen the Killer Santa thing. B, much more importantly, I don't want to watch an hour of the world's most obnoxious people being fucking obnoxious. I've said a billion times about horror. I fucking so sick of horror films where everyone is a piece of shit. I don't want to watch horror films where I'm glad people got killed. I want to watch horror films where I'm like, oh, please don't get killed. Yeah. I like that better. <laughs> the kills are really fun. If you don't want to see people get killed, then you're not going to get any really cool good kills. <laughs> you still are satisfied with good kills, even if you like the character. I'm just saying it's a weird horror movie phenomenon. You said they're gone. I think it's always been a misunderstanding between horror writers and horror fans that ultimately most of us don't want to see a film where we have to just watch the world's most annoying people be annoying until they die. Because who cares? There's no tension. I'm with Frank. If there's really likable characters and they're getting killed off in really bad ways, it makes me feel bad. I'm like, oh, they didn't deserve that. <laughs> You're supposed to, to feel that. bad. <laughs> I don't want to see that happen to them. But yeah, I'm supposed to feel bad. But, you know, something like Final Destination 3 that is full of the most annoying characters, except for, like, the main one. But those kills, kind of badass. And even though the kills weren't super great, I thought it was satisfying. I liked Danny Trejo as Santa's sleigh versus the Logan Paul house. You know, maybe this one could have been shorter, because, like, the first half is literally just them being douchebags. So that is annoying. But I liked how it ended up. It's sleazy. It's bloody. Who doesn't hate the influencer crowd? I don't mind influencers if they're harmless I just hate influencers when they're big pieces of fucking human garbage knock them all off I don't care I don't need it I appreciate them setting up that culture here and ultimately killing them all but the thing is we need to spend so much time with them waiting for them to die because as much of a comet as it's trying to make on here it really just falls short it's got okay kills I like the head on the Christmas tree I like that they didn't kill the black guy first we've been not killing the black guy first since like 2000 Frank that's not new anymore it's kind of refreshing <laughs> when they do do it <laughs> yeah. he lasts longer than I thought and I'm glad because he was the cutest one. That's what I said about my ex-boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> did you put his head on the Christmas tree, Jenna? Yes, I did. <laughs> but I think it does okay by the holiday slasher, but it's hampered by the culture it's sending up. I mean, not only are they unlikable, but they're boring. So mm. shout out to Danny Trejo for pretty much killing off people who I'm really not going to miss. This is one of the episodes, again, that if you're watching this for the quality you got in Asylum or Murder House, you're not going to get it. This one wasn't that great, but it wasn't the worst. Next up is Baal, directed by Sanaa Hamri. This features Billy Lord, Carrie Fisher's daughter, who's been a regular in American Horror Story. She plays Liv, who is trying to have a baby with her husband, Matt, played by Ronan Rubenstein. She re receives a mystical totem little demon looking thing from Virginia Gardner who uh, we haven't seen for a little while but uh, she was in Runaways if you remember that show she ends up having a baby she starts seeing visions of this demon haunting her child and trying to take her child from her let's just say it's Rosemary's Baby except adding on modern messages of like gaslighting more, I mean Rosemary's Baby had that there too but this in a more overtly specific way we've seen this before we've seen it done so much better when it's trying to insert its modern day messaging it's just turning to the camera and going it's almost like they're gaslighting which is a real problem today that people do i'm like okay we get it you don't need to explain it that specifically i like billy lord there's something that happens in the climax to various characters where it's like i like everything that's going on right here and it feels deserved that's it the rest of it yeah it's rosemary's baby it's gaslighting 
It's not too interesting. Billy Lord's cool, though. I like Billy Lord. There's so few third-generation actors and actresses that can actually carry on the tradition. And I think she does a really, really good job. And I think this whole episode was written for her. She's the reason to see it. Her character is given a legitimate arc, and I love the way that she plays it. It really is a great showcase for her. Other than that, it is twist after twist, and if you've seen anything in the supernatural thriller, if you've seen Gaslight, you can guess where this is coming. It's got good atmosphere. <laughs> I'll give it that. Actually, this reminded me of Inside more than Rosemary's Baby, just because it's it's less about the violation of this character and everything about her stepping into her own definition of motherhood whether you agree with that or not and i do like the accurate depiction of getting something that you really wanted and then being like i don't fucking like this shit i'm always here to say fuck these kids and um (laughs) i'm glad that i finally found a, a real honest depiction of what it is to be a mom you feel like you're not doing a good job i feel like this was actually one of the more emotionally resonating episodes out of this entire series i actually like the kills better in here they had annoying characters that died, like Adrian stated, but they weren't annoying like Bro House. They were annoying as in karma is coming for that ass. Again, this one seemed to fit more into the American Horror Story universe than even things like Murder House, even those directly linked. This, I feel like, is more in canon. I'm glad to hear you have a different opinion because you're the only one among us that knows for a fact that you're a parent. So. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> When she went off and she was like, I fucking can't. I was like, yes, bitch, go get a bottle of wine. We're fucking over this shit. All right. The next one is probably my second favorite of the series, which is Feral, directed by Manny Cotto, who is a longtime writer with Ryan Murphy, amongst other people. I'm not a real big fan of Manny Cotto overall as a writer. He's the guy who comes into a series and ruins it. The guy who wrote most of Dexter season five. He does a really decent job at directing this episode. It follows a boy named Jacob who disappears on a family trip camping out in the woods. Ten years later, his father, played by Aaron Tavit, is approached by Bob, played by Blake Shields, who's like, hey, I think I have real evidence that Jacob is still alive. Here's a video. I hunt in these woods, and I think he was kidnapped by a drug cartel. He offers for money to take him and his very skeptical about the situation mother, Addie, played by Tiffany DuPont, into the woods to find out information. Of course, things are not how they seem they are, and it turns out, to everyone's surprise, including Bob's, that there is a bunch of crazy, over-the-top, feral humanoids, and I don't mean like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I mean, like, what I was thinking was Hills Have Eyes, and kind of specifically the remake of Hills Have Eyes, more so than the original. And even more brutal than that, these yeah. creatures and the way they're not just redneck creatures who've gone feral, but kind of mutated and maybe special ability even. But anyway, <laughs> it's all an attack. Cody Fern, he was in Assassination of Gianni Versace, American Crime Story, Ryan Murphy show. He played one of the main characters in there. He plays a park ranger who becomes a big part of this. But ultimately, although once again, we've seen movies like this, this one was like gory it was satisfying the only problem i had with it was i thought these people have been through hell on high water only for it to end up like this i go like well i actually kind of appreciate that they had the balls to be that harsh to give that harsh of an ending not to play it safe not to have like oh yeah we're reunited and everything's gonna be normal again i thought this one was decent at best it had some okay twists had some good okay action scenes but i think the strength of it is that ending there's a scene where they introduce these creatures and that's pretty cool the final half of the episode is like a siege type thing 
thing, when the creatures get there, they have actually really cool costumes and designs. They look like video game enemies from The Evil Within. They look cool as hell. I dig the Australian park ranger who just seemed like he was having a really good time. It's just a fun episode. It's probably the most well done in terms of like production and everything. This reminded me of if Hereditary met Chud. It was meh. The two main characters, the narrators for this entire story, they were actually annoying to me and not because they're just like regular white people. I just don't care enough about their problems and if they really miss their kid that much, the ending wasn't even surprising to me because I'm like, I feel where that kid coming from, Haiki. Like, bitch, you left me out here, the fuck? But this episode was one of the ones that could have been left out or I wish they would have taken notes from shows like The X-Files and just write a better short story that seems kind of random where there's a lot of backstory but we're not going to be able to get it but we can still feel the emotional beat of the story and the x-files is really good at that when they had like these weird episodes where it was like really random but you still felt connected to the work so it was a math for me our final episode is game over directed by liz friedlander who's largely an american music video and television director although she did do a uh, movie take the lead a musical movie with antonio banderas if you remember that one i don't i do <laughs> but this is the final episode of the season that follows up with murder house again that feels like it's going to be a totally separate thing with mercedes mason who is a video game designer who's created a game based on the urban legends around murder house called escape from murder house where it starts off where it feels like we're watching another two more annoying young people going into murder house than getting murdered you're like oh wait no it's just her son playing and testing her game they're not real people going yeah this game kind of sucks and she's trying to connect with her son nicholas bestel and she goes all right well i'm gonna go and find the actual murder house and go in and try to get inspired so she goes there on halloween night if you watch american horror story you know halloween night is the worst possible time you could go anywhere near it because it's the only time that all the ghosts are basically fully humanized they can leave the house and go wherever they want they can do whatever they want she encounters the characters from the first two episodes kai gerber and scarlet sierra mccormick and they meet finally a character from the original season dylan mcdermott the dad who actually is the most interesting part of this even though he seems totally exhausted to even have to do this i know he's supposed to be playing like he's tired exhausted but he also seems like i can't believe what i have to do to make a paycheck these days and they advertise this as the end to murder house but it tries to be so overly meta but it loses track entirely of what actually happened and what didn't happen in reality and that by the end i was like i'm not clear is murder house not there anymore is it not only there anymore only in a game is it what it even goes to a place where it's like well did the first two episodes actually happen within this anthology i will give it this each episode has like a different opening credits the opening credits for this is a supposed american horror story video game and it's the first time i've ever seen a fake video game look like a real video game i don't know how free guy couldn't do it but they did it you did it this is how you do it stop hating on free guy everyone liked free guy but you adrian you're the only that's fine one with me. Yeah, that's um, true. as for this episode this felt like you go to a make your own ice cream sundae and you're like all right i'll put some hot fudge some peanuts some whipped cream but like oh shit look they got cookie dough they got all this other shit mochi and then it just becomes <laughs> this like big soup of mixing flavors you're overindulgent and you ruined it and there's no going back and you got to make yourself a new ice cream because this is just a mess and this is how this felt to be this is just one big mess that was like overly meta 
I don't have any attachment to Murder House, but it gets so convoluted where it's like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to care about because nothing happened, essentially. It was sort of convoluted toward the end, but also by the end, I stopped caring anyways, because it was just like, okay, you want to be alive? Be alive. Okay, now you want to be dead? Fine, you're dead. This was all just like (laughs) another game simulation. Okay, fine, whatever. This really had all like the charm and finesse of like a made-for-TV reunion. You remember those back in the 90s or early 2000s when your favorite TV show was canceled and they came back a few years later and they did like a reunion show? That's what this felt like. Murder House was such a great season. It's not deserving a final note like this was. This is partially your guys's fault um, <laughs> because everybody keeps talking about how I wrote love the episode fucking murder no, murder house so good murder house murder house murder house it is Fuck good it is good <laughs> keep going to final thoughts man I ain't messing with y'all complaining about the last episode when y'all were just jerking off to it earlier and no I feel like we were pretty mixed on it earlier <laughs> yeah I was blame <laughs> these two the season yes the first season yeah but I like Asylum too. I was getting so irritated with it and I was so glad that I finally got the reveal and was like oh thank god but then I was like this is like the last episode even if you don't like bro house at least it was still a departure the fact that y'all wasted three whole ass episodes on a storyline y'all done already did bruh like, I'm tired of it. It wasn't that great of a season. Asylum is way better. Let's go to final thoughts. Frank! Liked Drive-In. Didn't like much else. I appreciated how dark Feral went with its ending. I think that there's enough here. I'm not going to be hating automatically on season two. This is in the spirit, for the most part, of what an actual anthology series is. And I appreciated that. When it did work, I had to give it some props. But unfortunately, it largely didn't work. This is going to be for diehard Ryan Murphy fans. I don't think the casual fan would really pick up on this so i'm gonna give this four out of ten murdered bros jenna i definitely enjoyed the departure with feral ball and bro house we can leave murder house alone and the millennial love triangle lesbian fantasies that we didn't get to live out in our high school years it's never too late jenna apart from that (laughs) i really actually enjoyed this and i really wish they would Hire different artists and different directors to kind of bring new life into the series. Definitely check it out. It is definitely worth the blunts after work. I will give this (laughs) six out of 10 dolls I need to place underneath my bed because it has been a dry season since COVID. Adrian? This is my first completed season of American Horror Story, and yet it's not. This has seven episodes, and I like four of them. I don't know how that averages out. So I'm just going to go ahead and give it three normal people scare me stickers on a laptop out of five. (laughs) 50% of this I outright really didn't like. 25, 20% of it, I was like, "Uh, it's all right, but so derivative. And I've seen it before. And the rest, I went from okay to kind of good. A real mixed bag. I expected much better from this team for their first departure into something kind of new attached to a really popular long-running season. It felt like they just didn't put a lot of effort into this. Some of it sucked quite a bit and the rest was just okay not a big fan i'm gonna give this four out of ten balls out baby cribs (laughs) (laughs) i've been been saving that pun the whole review 